Amen. As we gather together for Mother's Day, um, I'm, I'm notoriously one of those guys that's like, uh, um, let's have a message. And uh, by the way, you know, somewhere in it, we're going to say, woohoo, it's Mother's Day. Good job. Um, but we're not doing that today because I, I actually want to talk. I mean, as the staff was sharing and getting ready for um, this morning, you know, over the last couple of weeks, you know, we announced that, hey, we're going to be doing baby dedications. And they just started stacking up and stacking up and stacking up. And literally, um, part of the conversation was, okay, let's just cut it off and tell the rest of them they have to wait till the next time. It's like, you can't do that. You can't say, no, we're not dedicating your baby. They're like, I know, but you know how you are. You're going to pray for six or seven minutes for each one that's up there, and this is what's going to happen. And it's like, hey, I, I'm going to celebrate all of the babies that are up here um, because that's, that's just amazing. The gift of God to bring life into our, our midst and, and to let us celebrate it and, and, and jump up and down and say, yay, God, yeah, we want to do that. But I, I will say, that's a lot of blessing from God all in one little church. It really is. You know, it's like my father-in-law used to say, he's like, Noah said, go, go for, excuse me, God said, go forth and multiply. But he didn't say that Adam had to do it all. And he didn't say that Noah had to do it all. He didn't say that Joe had to do it all. He didn't say the vineyard had to do it all. He just said, go forth and multiply. And it's like, that is on my mind while I'm thinking about these things. As we enjoy Mother's Day, let me just say a couple of things that I would like to say. I'm not ignorant and I'm not insensitive to the infertility, the issues of infertility, single ladies or single again ladies. But as we approach Mother's Day, I really want to say, let's do it this way. Rather than approach Mother's Day with an inward focus, Let's, uh, let's approach Mother's Day with an outward focus. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm glad for the moms that say, hey, I'm, I'm pretty excited. This baby made me a mom. And I have loved seeing, you know, show us the child that made you a mom. That was great on Instagram this, this week. I, you know, it was really a lot of fun, okay? I, I, I get that. But here's the deal. We all have a mom, right? And if our focus is outside, then we all get to celebrate Mother's Day, because we're focusing on the mom that brought us in here, and our children in turn get to focus on our mothers that are walking next to us, or that we, you know, well, anyway, the mothers, okay? I was out with my, uh, one of my um, little tiny, you know, second generation children, so that's grandchild, um, and she's wicked intelligent. She really is. And uh, we happened to be picking some things up, and then um, yesterday in the Myers, and as I was walking by the flower, flowers, I thought, you know, I, you know, should I get Janice some flowers? You know, would that be nice? And so I said to her, I said, hey, what if we just get grandma some flowers? And she said, Why? And I thought, wow, this child's cold. She's cutting her mom right off, you know. And this is how she's treating her grandma. And, and I said, well, you know, because. And she looked at me and she said, it's not wife day. It's mother's day. She's not your mother. And I thought, well, I've just been schooled on Mother's Day and all things mom, so made a post about my mom, and I'm looking forward to seeing her in a week and a half or so, and we're going to do that. For our scripture today, I'm going to be going Old Testament. There's a passage there that I want to jump into, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, if you want to turn there or go there on your, your uh, smart implement. You can do that. But um, this, is, this is the end of 40 years in the wilderness, and this is Moses 
um, in, in chapter 1, 2, and 3, and 4, he is just recounting to the children of Israel everything that they've been through in 40 years. And, and I was reading through it all, the whole thing again um, this morning, and I realized that at one point he actually challenges Joshua and says, hey, you know, because of you, I'm not going into the promised land. And it's like, I was pretty sure that was because of Moses himself. He, he made a bad choice. But at this particular juncture in the book of Deuteronomy, he's looking at Moses and he says, and you know that it was because of you, so now I don't get to go in, so now you're going to have to lead them in there. And don't take my word for it. Go look at Deuteronomy chapter 3 and there's, just play that thing out in your head one time and say, what is going on here? All right, but he's, Moses is recounting 40 years in the wilderness. He's, he's counting God's faithfulness. He's recounting the fact that God said Joshua was going to lead them. And, and they're very, very much expecting to cross that Jordan right now. And you know, it's one of those things where the journey should have taken about two, two weeks to a month at the most, and they just, just wandered for 40 years because of their sinfulness. And when you think about that for a second, just think about where could I walk to in two weeks? Where could I get up and walk 20 miles a day or 18 miles a day? And where could I walk to from here? Cincinnati? You know, where could I walk to? And then just imagine that instead of making it in the two weeks to a month, you just go over to West Virginia and you go over to Illinois and Indiana and you go all the places. And 40 years, finally, when you, your parents are, you know, on their deathbed, you finally arrive at their house and you say, well, you know, I struck a rock and God took me the long way. Because that's the situation that's going on here. And Moses is getting ready to say, God is going to take you in there. And God has some expectations. And I want to ask you this for real quick. I want to ask, does God have the right to expectations from you and I? In your relationship to God, does he have the right to have expectations of you? Because I, I actually, I think he does. As I enter into the scripture and as I look at this, I see what's going on and, and I see that God has the right to expectations because he is the head of our family, our spiritual family. And he's the dad and he's the father and he's the Abba and he has the right to say, now children, this is what I'm expecting of you. And that's kind of what's going on. And so Moses opens up and, and, and he's writing this down for us, but he's in the fourth chapter for you and I uh, of the book of Deuteronomy. And let me just read a couple of verses and then I'm going to skip down just a little bit. We're going to talk about that and then we're all going to go celebrate Mother's Day wherever we're going to do that. Okay. In the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and the laws that I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God, the God of our fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands from, uh, of the Lord uh, your God that I gave you. Okay? So he begins this book by saying, look... I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you straight. You may not add to it. You may not subtract from the scripture. You open the Bible and the simplest reading is probably the correct reading. And at the point that you have to begin to look at sin that you're involved in and begin to say, yeah, but this one doesn't matter because if I just twist this a little bit, what it really means is this, like this. And it's like, no. When God says do this, he means do this. When God says, don't do that, what he means is, don't do that. Okay? And then let's skip all the way down 
um, to verse 9, where he says, only be careful, and this is what I want to hang our hat on here, and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the thing your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. He's telling you and I, Moses is telling you and I, he's telling the children of Israel, listen, don't you ever forget what God did. Don't forget, he may not have done the miracle in your personal life, but don't forget what you saw in the wilderness in 40 years. You saw God do incredible things in your life. Answered prayers, filled your stomach, gave you manna, all kinds of things. And, and Moses is saying, listen, to you, don't you let that slip from your heart. Because when it does, bad things begin to happen. That's not what it says there, but that's the end result of that, okay? So, and this is what he says, and teach them to your children and to your children after them. Children after them means grandchildren. He says, I want you to remember everything that happened for 40 years, and I want you to teach your children everything that happened for 40 years, and then I want you to teach your grandchildren. It's not your children's responsibility to teach your grandchildren. It's your responsibility as a grandparent to teach your grandchildren what God has done in your life for the last four minutes, the last four days, the last four weeks, four months, four years, or 40 years or more as well as your parents' responsibility. We all should be training up our children in the way that they should go so when they're old, they don't depart from it. In verse 10, he says, Remember the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and they may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. And then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire and you heard the sound of the words but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and the laws that you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan into to possess. And there's the picture. There's the deal. You and I. God has expectations for you and I. As we gather together, we don't gather together to baptize our children. We gather together to dedicate our families and our children to the Lord. In essence, we're sacrificing them to God's ownership. We are saying to God when we stand up here and get prayed over by, by the congregation that you hold us accountable. We're dedicated these children to the Lord, and when they get older, we're going to continue to teach them and instruct them and, and, and expect of them to follow in the ways of God. At some point, your children have the right to make any decision that they want to, and, and you've got to, that's the tough part about being a parent, is that children have a free will just like you and I have a free will, and it gets a little bit difficult. We recognize that we've been entrusted to raise them, but seeing them make money, gain fame, or get smart isn't the measure of success for our children. The question will always be, do they follow Jesus? Are they hungry? Not, listen, the question isn't going to be, do they go to church? It really isn't. The question as I interact with people and as you interact with your kids isn't going to be, did they say the magic words when they were seven years old and come forward? It's going to be, are they following Jesus. It's, it, the question is never what was, it's always what is. Are their feet pointed 
toward the cross and are they growing? So we look at this, and while we celebrate Mother's Day, we certainly recognize that it takes a family and a community to direct the path of a child to seek after Jesus. And so, again, just causing us to recognize that Jesus said he was going to build his church and that the Scripture says, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, the Spirit will pour out his gifts for the benefit of the body so that we can come together and do something that people will be in awe of because the Lord God is in their midst. But at the end of the day, parenting is a great weight of responsibility. When God called Abraham out of his paganism, he did so knowing that Abraham would lead his children to God. He did. I often wondered, why did he pick Abraham? Why not anybody else in the world? Why, why Abraham? And the scripture tells us this in Genesis 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Everybody that's ever born will have the opportunity to be blessed because Abraham had a relationship with God. For I have chosen him so that, check this out, he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. That's why he picked Abraham. Because God knew, living outside of the time you and I exist inside of, that if he would pick Abraham, Abraham would continue to chase after him because Abraham wanted the favor of God on his life. He wanted the blessing of God on his life because he knew that if he had the blessing of God on his life and God fulfilled that promise that he would be a blessing to nations, to billions of people, that his children would receive it as well. And if you want to pass something on to your children... It's not going to be money that makes the difference. It's going to be an, a vital, real, not churchy, not religious, but a vital, real relationship to God that is an example for them. And so we look at that. So as families, we have great responsibility to our children, and nobody is closer to that than the woman that you call mom. It never fails when you sit down with somebody and you begin to talk about their mom, that for the most part, they brighten up and they get excited and they want it, you know, mom, yeah, mom, mom, mom did this. You know what's even scarier? is when they hit 30 years old and 35 years old and they start in with a, mom, you probably didn't know this. And you didn't, okay, because they're little criminals and they kept it from you. And they start telling you things that make your stomach start doing flip-flops. And you start thinking, well, if I'd have known that back there, I'll tell you what I would have done. You know, and you start, but you don't get to go back 15 years. You're done. They're 30. They'll ask you if they want your opinion. They just want to confess and get it off their hearts because they're feeling guilty or they're struggling with it or whatever it is. But it's like they start telling you stories that will just think, there's a God in heaven because these children are alive. And I didn't have anything to do with it because I wasn't there. And you're just like, whoa. But what a joy when your children do hit that age and suddenly you're having relevant, encouraging, and powerful conversations with them based upon your relationship with Jesus and their relationship with Jesus and what God's calling them to and what they feel like is going on. And so I will tell you right now that above all things that we can teach our children, a relationship to Jesus is going to be the single most 
important. Band, let me just say this, is not that important, and I loved band. If you don't think I jumped up and hooted and hollered and made a fool of myself and embarrassed my wife for the two or three minutes, the ten minutes that my children were on the field doing the marching band competition and we had to wait three hours for them to finally get out there for their ten minutes, I'm just like, I've been waiting. I don't care who's looking at me. I'm going to make a fool of myself. They can't see me. We're at Yum Stadium and they're down there doing things and it's awesome and I'm going to look like a fool and I loved the band. I loved them being in the band. I didn't love them practicing at home upstairs because they had big brass instruments and they were just like, unless they're with other instruments, those things shouldn't be like practiced on by themselves. But when they're together in marching, wow! And these guys were amazing. I loved bands. Listen, leaving your children a, a sports attitude or a sports hunger is not going to be the single biggest thing that you can do. And I loved the sports years in our lives. I loved going and watching my son play football. I loved him on the field. I loved him getting up with a broken finger. I loved him. Well, you know, it wasn't so much that as much it was just he loved that game and he poured himself into it. I was looking forward to him playing college ball when he came to me and said, Papa, I don't want to play college ball. And it's like, really? And he said, yeah. He said, it's a job. And I don't want a job. I want to have fun playing football. And my last four years and the years before that as a little kid, he said, they were fun. I loved the sports years. But I loved it more when he said, I just feel this call to the ministry in my heart. And he helped us plant this church. And he, he preached for me when I wasn't here or needed to take a break. And then he moved away and the devil got in his heart and he got part of a different church far away. <laughs> and the Lord's going to bring him back. He's going to bring him back just like he brought Joseph back up to Israel out of Egypt. And it's going to be great. And if you're watching, Joseph, the Lord told me to say that, okay? So I'm just going to put that out there. Okay, it's not going to be the drama accolades that your children get. And I loved the drama years. I loved seeing my daughter in the drama. I loved seeing another son in the drama. I love how well they did. I loved seeing them in the choir. And I loved the choir years for another daughter. And it was amazing. But at the end of the day, watching them, even when we bump heads theologically, watching them grow in a passionate relationship with Jesus that has them looking outside of themselves or caring for other people will give me the greatest joy as a parent. And so here's our responsibility. I'm going to lay it on you. Then we're going to go celebrate Mother's Day. As mom and dad, as grandma and grandpa, and listen, as aunts and uncles, I'm not letting you off the hook, as aunts and uncles, Okay, we have an obligation to introduce these children to Jesus. And I, we just got to be saying, well, duh, no, not well, duh, because I love you, but it's not happening in our world. It's not happening. Church takes second to everything. And do our children see us chasing after Jesus? Okay, 
What do you believe about God? Tell your children. What do you believe about salvation, the crucifixion, and resurrection? It's a theological statement, but you need to train your children up. They need the knowledge. They need to learn what you learn, and it needs to come from you. And you need to tell them what God has done in your life recently. Even when they don't understand anything except milk, diapers, and sleep, and screaming bloody murder. Just speak it over them so that you get in the habit of saying it out loud and you will begin to be surprised at what happens. And you need to tell them why telling them is so important. It's okay. It is important. T to this day, my children and my grandchildren, I still look for opportunities around the Christmas story and celebration when my grandkids are in the car with me and one of them just says, Grandpa, and that, that just simply means there's a question coming. Okay, Grandpa, I say, yes. You don't have to say Grandpa first. I'm the only Grandpa in the car. Okay, And, and Grandpa, let me ask you a question. Grandpa, can I say, Grandpa, can I say, yeah. And we have the biggest conversations, and that's important. We have to tell them. Second thing that I think is critically important that I think we miss out on is you have to tell them your story. We have to tell them about Jesus. We have to recount to them the gospel as we understand it. As much as we've learned it, we need to be in the word to be able to do that. But we need to bring it out. We need to share it with them. And sooner or later, we need to tell them our personal story of how and why and where I surrendered my life to Jesus. And when that moment is that it made this big transformation. Not the when and the why and the where where I said the magic words, did the Thing, did that but at the point that it actually you got you know like grabbed by the short hairs here by God and and maybe he said yesterday or maybe he said 10 years ago you surrendered your life and and at that moment you said I get it now I need to move forward that's the story that they need to hear when the transformation began to take place when and why did you surrender your life to Jesus and be honest don't make excuses or justifications for your sins. Be age-appropriate, but be honest with them. We don't need to tell a story to our children that's like, well, I was, I was a good man, My, I, I didn't make too many mistakes, and I was all right, and, and so I was good enough for God to save me. We weren't. We were awful, filthy, nasty sinners, and we did horrible things that we hope nobody finds out about. Let's just be honest. Things that we probably, even at this age, should sit down, sit down and say, Mom, you probably didn't know this. You know, and our, our parents would still like, you know, it would curl their hair. And they would be like, oh, I wish I could have saved you from that one. But we keep those sins to ourselves. And we don't have to throw all the dirt in our lives on our children and our grandchildren. But listen, when we hide the fact that we were sinners, they feel like they're supposed to be perfect. They're supposed to be without fault. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's not fair. That is not fair to your kids. It is not fair to your kids that they don't see you struggle once in a while in your marriage. It's not fair to your kids that they don't know that you got fired or that you're struggling at work. It's not fair to your kids to think that you are perfect and therefore they are missing the mark. It's not fair. Your children need the truth. They need it age-appropriate, but they need the truth. So be honest. 
And here's the deal. Glorify God in the telling of your story. Glorify God that he saved such a wretch as me. Glorify God in that. More parents exclude the, the part that, that they are ashamed of and that they don't want to admit, but there has to be a story of redemption. Redeemed us from what? From what? They need to know that there's forgiveness for sin. They need to know that. They need to know that God will restore them time and time again. And then this is a big one right here. This is a big one. Let them see you following Jesus. Let them see you following Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do your children see you pray? Do your children hear you pray? Not just for dinner. Do your children call you and ask you to pray? Do you call your children and ask them to pray? Do your children see you give, serve, be gentle, be firm, stand up, take a stand and not back down, be willing to be bold, even if it's a little bit embarrassing sometimes, and do they see you once in a while get it wrong? At the end of the day, your example has to be coupled with your instruction. Because a lot of times people will hear us say the things that we've learned or they'll see us do something, but we won't couple them together that we're doing things because of what we learned about Jesus and the fact that he lives inside of us. And that's what the whole book of James is all about. The brother of Jesus wrote the book of James and the whole thing was about the idea that you can't separate the knowing and the doing. They have to be together. If we know, we will do. If we're not doing, we have to ask, do we really know? And then if we're going to do, we need to know why. It's important for us to be in the Word. You know, Solomon was getting ready to pass things on to his son, and he wrote a book. He wrote a couple of them, actually, but Ecclesiastes is the one that I'm referring to. And he tried to explain to his son, and if you read down through it, you'll see that he talks about, I sinned all over the place. He, he writes that. He said, man, I, there was nothing I didn't keep from my body, from myself. I ate it, drank it, had slept with it. I, I did it all. I lived life. I had the cash, had the money. Nobody held anything back from me at all. And he gets all the way to the 12th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says, now that everything's been heard, now that I've told you that it's not about sex, now that I've told you it's not about money, Now that I told you it's not about being the king. He says, now that I've told you all that, now that all's been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty, not of Jewish people. This is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or or evil. And then Jesus said it like this in Mark's gospel. And I would really challenge you to take a look at your life. Don't be afraid to sit and be quiet and turn off the noise and talk to God and, and ask God, am I going the right way? And I know that sermon series is over, so don't bring it up in staff meeting, but I'm bringing it up. It's okay to ask God, are we doing it right? Because this is what Jesus said in the book of Mark in chapter 8. What good is it for somebody to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can you give 
in exchange for your soul. How is a relationship with Jesus forming your daily walk on this planet? How does it affect you when you go get your driver's license at the DMV or your new license plate? How does it affect you when somebody cuts you off in traffic? How does it affect you when there's not enough money for the month that's still left? How does your relationship to Jesus affect you when people come calling? How, um, Solomon said in the book of uh, Proverbs, how does your relationship to God affect you when your friends say, come run with us. Let's dig pits and rob people. Let's party like rock stars on their money. When God says to humble ourselves, are we being an example or do we need an example still in our relationship to God? What are we doing? I was praying um, this week as I was, I wrapped this up on Tuesday and turned it in and I was praying over it and I was asking the Holy Spirit, what do we pray for? What, what? It's Mother's Day. Just end the sermon and send them out. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 no. We're going to pray for people. We're going to pray for people today because these people are up here and they want to pray. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, seriously, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, your life, if you've never said, Lord, I messed it all up, and every time I try to be good, church-going Christian, I screw it up because I've accepted you rather than surrendered to you, I want to encourage you to consider surrendering to Jesus. And then get up and say, Lord, now what do you want me to do? Not, don't get up and say, now, Lord, you do this for me. No, 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 no. Maybe this is the morning for you to surrender your life to Jesus. Or maybe you're in here and you're like, man, we, we did the best we kid, could with our children and it was tough and we didn't do it all right. And man, some of them are wayward and they don't know Jesus. Some of them are struggling. Maybe you've just got some that are going through health issues. At the end of the day, I feel like the Lord said, when you wrap up the service, wrap it up with prayer for children. Kids that are struggling, adult kids, young kids that are facing a world that wants to eat them. Let's pray for them. And so here's the deal. If you're in here and you need to surrender your life to Jesus, and if it's time to say, you know what? None of this just came crashing together from nothing. Science 101, step one. Something can't come from nothing. Beyond that, I'm just going to use this word. You've got to be kind of stupid to believe that all of this came from nothing. With all due respect to the word stupid, you have got to stop and say, Science says something can't come from nothing. Where did the something come from? At least intelligent design. So we begin to wrestle with the idea that there's got to be a God in heaven because the odds of a body, a human being coming together is it's numerically ridiculous. But that being said, maybe it's time to just say, hey, you know what, Lord? Here's my life. But if you've got children that are struggling, we want to pray for them too. And so if you want to bring that child up here <clears throat> for these people, and you can pray, you can intercede for them, we want to do that this morning too. So why don't you come up to your feet? I'm going to have a prayer. <clears throat> Excuse me, and we're going to go into a, a, a song. And during that song, 
If you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you come up here. If you've got a child that you want to bring to God, bring it up here and let's just pray for them. Father, as we come before you, we thank you and praise you for mothers. We thank you and praise you for who they are. We thank you and praise you for their instruction in our lives. We thank you for aunts and uncles. We thank you for grandparents. We thank you for the power of family to move us with their example and their words and their affirmations and their encouragement. We thank you for the word that gets inside of us, becomes living and active and and does surgery in here, separating joint and marrow and soul and spirit so that the Holy Spirit might have free reign in our beings. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for restoration. We thank you for the days that we get to look and say, I don't think I've done it. I need to do it today. And we thank you for children that we're still praying for. We thank you, God, because you want them saved more than we do. You put them here, and we thank you for that. Bring glory and honor to yourself through the salvation of our families. I release this upon this place in Jesus' name.